I don't know about your relationship, but mine can be. Happy Valentine's Day, all right? The day that uh, we celebrate love, we uh, reflect on it, we, uh, we've given you the excuse not to buy flowers since all the flower stores are closed today, unless you were planning ahead kind of a person. But uh, Valentine's Day, love, it's just kind of one of those days that you, you come to and, and either you look forward to or you don't look forward to it. It just depends on your status. Uh, in, in, in life, I guess. Maybe that's the, the determining factor of that. But do you realize that 15% of women send flowers to themselves on Valentine's Day? I found that uh, an interesting statistic this past week. Uh, also, Hallmark has 1,330 different ways that they can help you say, I love you. That's just Hallmark, all right? That doesn't include Dayspring or any of the other great uh, companies out there. It's also interesting to find this little statistic out. In February 14th, 270 A.D., the, the Roman Emperor Claudius II dubbed Claudius the Cruel. Has any of you all heard this story? All right, maybe some. No, nobody has. Okay. He, was be, he beheaded a priest named Valentine. All right. For performing ceremonies, Claudius II was out, outlawed marriages when the Roman men began to refuse to go to war in order to stay with their wives. Now, I tell you, those were great men in that time and age, weren't they? Love's complicated, though. It's a, it's a complicated little part of our life and, and the communities that we live in. And we're talking about community this month and loving in the community and loving in our relationships and loving in the church and loving on the work. And how do you mix and mingle those two and all these different dynamics and uh, plethora levels of, la- of relationships that we have out there? Take your Bibles and we find the book of Colossians, all right? In the New Testament, you'll find a bunch of little books written by Paul, and we're going to be there in just a moment. But when we talk about relationships, and we're talking about, I mean, we're talking about community, and in that community, it's built on, based on relationships. Now today, the message I share today absolutely is applicable in any area, any relationship of your life. But because of the day, being Valentine's Day, I'm going to primarily focus on talking to couples, all right? But you can take this and apply this to your work. You can apply this to just community relationships within the church or within your neighborhood. You can apply any of this. So there's one meaning, but there are many applications. I'm going to primarily focus on the relationship uh, between a husband and a wife. But again, it definitely fits in the community of the church. Now, Paul is talking here, writing to, uh, to the church of Colossians. And as he's writing this letter, he is trying to instruct them on, okay, this is the way you used to act. This is the way you used to live. But now there's a new day. All right, There's a new sheriff in town, if you will. There's a new, there's a new protocol uh, on how we should live in relationship with one another. Because we need to take off, and he literally says, get undressed. Put off, take off those dirty clothes of the former days of what you used to do, and let's put on some new clothes, some new duds, uh, and let's, let's, let's live a little differently. All right, now what he tells us to take off is something that I would hope that you would be willing and ready to take off. However, I know the human nature. The human nature kind of tends to hang on to some of these things. This, the, the human nature, because if we get rubbed the wrong way, we rub that cat the wrong way, we, we get... We get hurt in a relationship, we have a tendency to build up little bridges or, excuse me, barriers to kind of protect ourselves. And these things can come into play into any relationship. 
Again, any time, any relationship, whatever. But he tells us to take off anger. This is in verse 8, Colossians 3. Take off anger. Take off wrath. Take off malice. Take off slander. Take off obscene talk. Take off lying. Take off these things that tear down the relationships and get rid of them. Burn them. Give them away. Don't give them them away. Uh, Just burn them, all right? Get rid of them. Throw them away. You don't want to pass on anger. You don't want to pass on slander. You know what? Everything I'm talking about today even relates to parenting relationships. Because if you have slander in your home, guess what? You will raise children of slander. If you practice obscene talk, guess what? Your children will practice obscene talk. You know, where'd you learn that word? Well, I learned it from you, Daddy. Remember that country song? I learned it from you. Oh, okay, yeah, I guess it's true. You know what? So whatever relationship, we need to put this out. These things have got to go. We've got to kick them out of our relationship. The problem is with relationships is though we might be drawn initially because of an attraction, an affinity, something we like about them and they like. Maybe it's something that we like to do and they like to do. But many times what really draws us in even tighter are that opposite elements. You've heard opposites attract. So there's something that they have that you don't have. There's something that they do that you don't do, that you admire about them, that you kind of wish you had, and so you kind of attach yourself to that. Again, relationships, but I'm going to apply it primarily to marriages and, and, and to those uh, those. Uh, those gender relationships, across gender relationships. How do we, in church, in business, in, 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 in our neighborhoods, or in our intimate relationships, how do we deal with the differences? How do we maintain love, community, unity, connection in the midst of the disunity and the disconnect of our lives? How do we maintain unity in the midst of our community of relationships. Well, there's four things I want us to note as we look in Colossians. And we're going to go down and read some more verses here in just a moment. We're going to read what he tells us to put on. We're not going to focus on what he tells us to take off. So just take take that list, remember them, and say, am I dressed like with anger? Am I dressed with wrath? That's anger out of control. How am I, if I'm dressed like that in any relationship, it's an unhealthy relationship. Now, how can I properly dress myself? First thing that we need to do, the first move we need to make is we need to accept the diversity of one another. All right. Now here you're in Colossians chapter chapter three, and he tells us again in verse five to put to death, and he tells us in verse ten to put. Uh, excuse me. He tells us to, to take off in in this passage, but then he tells us also to put on in verse ten. He tells us to put on again in verse twelve, and I want to read verse twelve through verse fifteen. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now there is a truckload of application in here. This is a truckload of information that if we would apply these few handfuls of verses that we have here, if we could apply them to our lives, then I think it would totally revolutionize our relationships. 
One of those relationship qualities, one of the moves that we need to make is to accept the diversity of the relationship. The relationships are different. People are different. We get into relationships, and all of a sudden this diversity rises up. And how do we learn to live in the midst of this and, 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 and still in relationship to one another? Verse 13, let me read it to you again. Put on then as God's chosen ones, the holy beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And I love the next verse, verse 13. He says, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. One translator put it, putting up with one another. Now, I have a question for you. Is there anybody in your life, any relationship you have, close or distant, related by blood or related by law, that you're having to, quote, unquote, put up with right now? All right? I heard the chuckles, and I didn't see any hands, and I didn't ask for hands because I'm afraid we all have to raise our hands. We all have relationships. We all have people in our life. From time to time, maybe it's a season, maybe it's for a day, that we have to put up with. We have to tolerate, if you will. We have to try to figure out how am I supposed to be committed to you, love you, go through life with you in the midst of our differences, in the midst of our diversity. And this is something that Paul dealt with in his own life. If you look back and, at Paul's journeys, he goes on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas and John Mark's along with the trip. But John Mark somehow, we don't know why, but he gets cold feet and goes home. Second missionary journey comes along, they're getting ready to go out again, and all of a sudden Barnabas brings up John Mark, and Paul says, absolutely not. He is not going with us. And that becomes a point of division. One was tolerant, one was un- intolerant. One was accepting and forgiving. One was not so accepting and forgiving, Paul. And all of a sudden you find this diversity creating division. How do we, again, learn to put up with the differences of a relationship? How can we learn to grow with one another and grow in those diversities? I heard this past week of a conversation between a counselor and a client. Not knowing the names, they told me a little bit of the situation. But it was basically a person that comes to, a husband comes to the wife and said this, You know what? You're not the person I married. You've changed, and I want out. You're not the person I married. You've changed, and I want out. Well, if you haven't looked in the mirror lately, every one of us is changing. If you haven't been in relation, we're constantly growing. Our perspectives are changing. Life is constantly in flux. But this one individual, this one husband, had finally said, you know what? You're not the person I married. I want out. Instead of somehow in the midst of that diversity saying, you know what? We're going to grow together. We may be growing apart right now, but we're going to have to figure out how to come back together. You're going to go in this way. We've got to grow together as we change together. How are we going to do this? Are we going to buckle and run? I think what Paul tells us to put on If we were to get up every day and in every relationship, whether in the neighborhood or at work or at church or or in our marriages or with our children, if we were to put on these things and take off those other things, then we might properly be dressed and ready for a relationship to start our day and our life. Look at in verse 12 what he tells us to put on. He tells us to put on compassionate hearts, to put on kindness. 
to put on humility, to put on meekness, to put on patience. One day this week when I was working on this message, I spent the entire day just thinking through this list of items. And one, I saw immediately in the reflection of the mirror of my own soul a deficiency in what I wear each and every day. I saw a deficiency in how I relate with people. I began to look at that list and think, man, how could anybody relate with me, let alone me relate with them? But if I could learn to understand what a compassionate heart is, if I could learn to understand what humility is, if I could learn to understand these elements that are supposed to be a part of our life, as it's mentioned in verse 12, then maybe I could be in relationship with one another a lot better and more successfully. And not just putting up with one another, as he tells us to do. Let's look at these real quickly. One, I want us to see these break things down. These are just my thoughts as I've meditated on this verse this past week in verse, verse 12. Compassion, what is that? That's when we learn to say with our life and with our lips, I feel with you. I emote with you. I feel what you're feeling. I may not understand it, but I want to. Compassionate heart. One theologian said it's it's the knitting together of emotions. When you have a compassionate heart with your mate, then you go that extra mile and not just look at things from a factual black and white bottom line, what you said, what I said, but you actually go behind that and you find out the why what was said was said. Why and how the feelings that are going on. Going to your children and getting to know why they're thinking and feeling and emoting the way that they do. But so much of us in the Christian realm, and I think in this factual world in which we live, we just live for the bottom line. We're just black or white. And when we don't learn to understand and deal with with life from a compassionate heart level, soul level, emotional level, then we miss out on maybe the deepest part of a person. We also miss out on God. This is what Tripper Longman and Dan Andler said in the book, The Cry of the Soul. He said, listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. That's a powerful statement right there. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through a brutal honesty and a vulnerability before God. That's a powerful statement what it means to connect on an emotional level, not only with mankind, but with God. Do you have a compassionate heart? Also, there's kindness. He mentions put on kindness. That means to, I'm going to say to you, I want to serve you. It means I want to say to my wife, to my husband, to my children, to those in my community, to those in my body life group, I want to serve you. I want to. I will. I am a part of an answer. It's not about uh, I'm in a relationship and it's self-seeking. 
self-satisfying, self-serving, self-preserving. I don't enter into relationships to serve self. It's learning that it's not about that. It's selflessness. It's faithfulness. It's kindness that creates a powerful and beautiful chemistry of a relationship. I will serve you. Humility is saying this. I'm not always right. In fact, I'm just not right. Now, this past week, Lori and I were talking about something where I said it was in the safety deposit box, and she said it was. She says it's in the file cabinet in the attic. And we were kind of going back and forth, and, and I go to the safety deposit box, and it wasn't there. And uh, I almost texted her, almost is the operative word, and said, you are right, but I didn't. And so she told me later on that week, she said, I found it. It's in the filing cabinet, like I said. Now, it was in, in, in context. She didn't, she, maybe she was looking for an opportunity to tell me that. I don't know. But it was in the, it was in, I found it, by the way, and it was here. And, and I said, well, I meant to text you. She said, would you please just get your phone and text me? Because I'd like to keep that text, that I am wrong. All right? Uh, can you say in your relationship, I'm wrong. You're right. And it's not, I'm wrong, but. But, but, but you've got to understand. This is the way, you know, just say, I'm not always right. You know, you, you're right. That's humility. Bring compassion at heart. Bring kindness. Bring humility into any relationship. What if you told your kids, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Now, we're quick to tell our kids when they're wrong, but what if we actually entered into a relationship with them that was so heart-level and real that we could say to our children, I'm wrong. Meekness. Meekness was the word that I kind of held on to for a while because I thought, what's the difference between meekness and humility? Because I've always associated meekness with weakness. And, and really, when you go in and you do a word study on just the word meekness, it's actually only used three times in the New Testament, this word that is used here. And the other times it's used as gentleness. So what if I will gently be with you? What if I said that in the relationship? What if you said that in the relationship? I'll just walk with you. I don't have to be assertive all the time. What if I'm just gently listening to you? Bring that dynamic to your relationship and see what happens. Bring the dynamic to a relationship where I want to, I want to be compassionate. I want to be kind. I want to be humble. I want to be meek. I, I want to serve you. I want to feel with you. I want to. I don't have to always be right. I want to be right, but I don't always have to be right. I want. I want to gently be with you. What would that do to the dynamics of your relationships in your community? I love First Corinthians chapter seven, verse four. Out of the message, it says the marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. What if we took 1 Corinthians 7 4 and we made that one of our statements in life? I don't know. Patience is another one. He tells us, put on patience, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on compassion, but put on patience. Patience says, I will wait for you. I will wait for you. I, I, I am a hard-charging type A. But, and it's hard for me sometimes to wait for people. I 
want to set the pace, and I want everybody to go at my pace. Are we in a race? Or are we in a relationship? Think about the two. Are we in a race where the goal is to get to the finish line as fast as you can? Are we in a relationship when it's not about the finish line? It's about the journey. Are we in a race? Because the race says, I want to win, and it's time drives it. Relationship, people drive it. What are we in? As you think about this passage, you think about learning to live with diversity. If we could just learn to live in that diversity by becoming more compassionate, more kind, more humble, more meek, more patient. If we were to put those elements onto our life, what dynamics would change in our relationships? Number two, when there's that diversity, when there's that division, when there's that anger and that malice, and those elements have been in the marriage, have been in slander, has been in the obscene talk, has been in the relationship, people have been backbiting you at work, you don't like this about the church, or you don't like this about your neighbors, and you get into that cycle, it's really hard to put these on. But when we put those on, then we can go to number two, which number two, the second move we make, is to move to unity. Because he tells us, he says, bearing with one another. And if, I kind of stumbled on that first word because I want to say when. When one has a complaint against you, forgive each other. Forgive. Wow. Forgive is a very difficult word. It's the F word, if you will. All right? The good F word that we have a hard time doing. All right? We know we like to receive it, but we have a hard time living it. But life principle for you is forgiveness is always given, never earned. Forgiveness is always given, and it's never earned. Matthew chapter 6, verse 15 challenges us. If you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Lord Hebert put it very well when he wrote, He who cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he himself must someday pass. There's an old 14th century Ethiopian monk. Abba Moses was his name. And this Ethiopian monk was called, he was very respected in in, in Ethiopia and very respected as the religious leader. And he was called to the trial of a person who had committed a crime. When they called, he didn't respond. He didn't go at first. He just hung out. Until finally, somebody came to receive him say, Father Abba, Moses, we need you to come to this trial. Because there is a major decision that needs to be made, and we want your input into this. So Abba Father picks up a bucket that leaks, had cracks in it or whatever, and he picks up this bucket and he fills it with water and he begins to walk. All behind him, there's water leaking out, leaking out, leaking out. And they ask him when he gets to trial, and obviously they're seeing the water standing in the pool of water standing around him as he's standing there talking to the people. And, and, and they, they wanted to know his, his opinion and his view of the situation. And, uh, and finally he said this. He says, My sins run out behind me, and I do not see them. Today I've come to judge the error of another. 
He was saying, listen, I live in this world myself as a sinner. I live in this world taking every step of my life, putting my sins as far behind me as I can. I don't want to sit here in judgment of anyone. See, when we live in relationships that hold on to past baggage, we live in relationships that build walls. Relationships that add bricks to walls to where we will never connect eventually. The only way that we're going to live when there are complaints against us in relationships is to learn to lower the walls of our heart. Learning to lower those walls instead of add bricks to the walls is one of the key components of a person maintaining unity in the relationships. We will have issues. There will be problems. I'm not saying you don't deal with the issue. If you don't deal with whatever that issue is, that issue will come back again. Forgiveness is not ignorance. Forgiveness is really, some people say, to forgive is to forget, or forgiving and forget. You know what? You will remember it, but it doesn't mean that you have to continue to live in it. Forgiveness is given. It's whenever I'm going to be in relationship with you and I'm not going to allow the issues to separate us. I will come back together. I do want to deal with the issue. You look at the story of Jesus. There's no better example of this. He took down the walls that separated us so that we could have a conversation, a relationship, so that we could have repentance and be in relationship with the Father. Have you built up walls? If your brother has something against you, the Bible even talks about it, we ought to leave our offerings and go and resolve the issue before we even bring our offerings to worship. Move to unity. Give charity. That's the third move that we make in a relationship. And again, if we remember the passage of Scripture, he challenges us. He said, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so much, so you also must forgive. So he set the bar pretty high there when talking about forgiveness. And he said in verse 14, and above all these, love. Love. And it's learning to love. See, love is a choice. It is a decision that is followed by an emotion and a feeling. When love is a feeling and an emotion followed by a choice and a decision, we've got it reversed. Everything Hollywood is going to pitch our way is that. We define the emotion, that ooey-gooey feelings, those butterflies, we define that as love. That's not love. That's ooey-gooey feelings with butterflies in them, okay? That's what that is. And that will go, psychologists will tell us, that will go away within a year of the relationship. What you have decided about that person, what you have decided about that community, what you will go the distance, if you're going to go the distance, will be based on your choice. Will be based on the decision you made. Then that will nurture an ongoing emotional connection. Some people have been hurt in relationships and they have a hard time loving. Again, if you read the context of this, Paul is dealing with a church that has had to deal with conflict, slander, malice, anger. They dealt with that. He's saying, take that off. Get rid of that. Let's put on this over here. A new life. One of kindness and compassion. Let's learn to forgive. 
It's learned to love. And if love is that feeling and not a commitment and a decision, then we will only love conditionally. We will only love temporarily. But love does bring us to a point of vulnerability. I love what C.S. Lewis said. It's a long quote, but man, you got to bite down on this one. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully around hobbies, little luxuries. Avoid all the entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. Put it in a casket safe, dark, motionless, airless, and it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers of love is hell. Love makes you vulnerable. Above all these, put on love. Love is risky. Above all these, put on love. It's a choice. It's a decision. I am saddened to see in our culture that we have called sex making love. Sex is an event, all right? Sex is beautiful. Sex is the most intimate connection of a husband and a wife coming together that no other... I can shake someone's hand. I can hug them. I can kiss a family member. I can do a lot of other things. But there's a part of that right there that is only a couple married together. We're making love. No, you're not making love. You're experiencing an event that is special and unique and beautiful. But making love, creating love, giving love, you do that through a spoken word, through a meaningful gift, through giving them honor, through giving them time, through serving them. All those things that we talked about in the very beginning. Compassion, kindness, humility. You want to make love? Make love with a lot of people this week, okay? Would you? Please understand what I said before that, though. All right? Make love with a lot of people. Give them love. Give them compassion. Give them time. Serve them. See what happens in your relationship. See what happens in your community whenever we start making that kind of love. The fourth. The fourth move we need to make if we're going to be a community united, if we're going to be families united. And hey, I'll say this. As the family goes, so goes the church. This does fit into the community series. Because if our community, Grace Point as a whole, is going to be strong, then guess what? Our families have got to be strong. If we don't learn how to relate in families, then we won't relate well in the church. Relationships are all around us. And if we don't learn to appreciate the diversity, 
If we don't learn to move to unity, if we don't learn to love and give charity, as in not charity as just giving a dollar, I'm talking about giving love charity, then we will not be able to make the next move, and that's to anticipate harmony. Notice what he said there in verse 14. He says, And above all this put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The word harmony, and, or excuse me, the word community, I did an etymology study on it this past week. It's a 14th century French word. It means to, is pronounced, I'm assuming I've got some French, I don't know, communite. And at the very core of it, the very core of communite is community. And you cannot say community without saying unity. You will not have unity in this community. You will not have it unless there's love, unless there's forgiveness, unless there's kindness and compassion and those things that we mentioned. You will not have it in your marriage. You will not have it with your children. You will not have the unity, the harmony, the community that we long for and that we want. You know, what good is a fragmented church in a fragmented world? Think about that. What good is a fragmented church in a fragmented world? The world sees it, hears it, smells it. They don't want anything to do with it. Rick Warren said it so well. He said, the world will be one when the church is one. It's a powerful move. What kind of example do we send to our children when we say to the spouses, we have irreconcilable differences? It means I can't live in unity with this person. What does that say? If we're going to put on the right clothing, we've got to first take off the wrong clothing. We've got to take off the anger, the wrath, the malice, the slander, the obscene talk, the lying, so that we can put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Who in your life right now are you just putting up with? Putting up with. But you're not accepting their diversity. Who in your life have you built up walls that you cannot love and you don't want to love and you are so angry with, you don't even want to look at them. Be in the same room with them. And what you need to really give them is forgiveness. Yeah, you've got to deal with the issues. I'm not saying ignore them. That's avoidance. Deal with the issues. But before that issue even is dealt with, you're willing in your heart to forgive. Who in your life right now needs love from you? needs you to make love to them through service, through time, through attention, through spoken words, through knowing their love language and giving that to them. When you do that, I think you can expect the harmony and the unity of a community to be there. But sometimes the walls are there. Watch this story. 